is a wrap on week nine. Incredible week. Comebacks, new quarterbacks enter the fray, and we kick it off with an old favorite who might be stamping the NFC as theirs to claim. Cowboys versus Eagles. A 28-23 to 23 victory for the Philadelphia Eagles over the Dallas Cowboys, bringing them to 8-1 and one on the season. But Daigle, it doesn't end there. Every single thing happened on both drives to end this game and nearly about two yards short. C.D. Lamb at the end of the game does not score a touchdown. Again, allowing this Eagles team to have complete command of the NFC East. Let's walk through the timeline to get to those final two minutes, though, because the Cowboys opened with the ball and immediately went three and out. So I thought we were off to a bad start, but the Eagles understood the assignment because on their opening drive, a fourth and one tush push from their own 32 to keep the chains going. And then a fourth and three short pass to Dallas Goddard from Dallas is 27. And again, that's just their opening drive. They capped with a Kenneth Gainwell 12 yard touchdown run. The Cowboys then kicked into the gear on their next possession with a fourth and one 29 yard gain to CeeDee Lamb, who out of Dallas is by two, not only being used on both the slot and out wide, but they're finally understanding in their last three games, two around the bye, how to move them around everywhere. But because of that, these past two weeks, a 41% and today 36% target share from Dak Prescott. It's exactly what we want from Lamb and his usage. But they capped that drive with a four-yard touchdown to Jake Ferguson, who I still don't know if he's a Hall of Famer or <laughs> if he's being used just enough. We may never know given their odd game scripts. Hurts took a sack towards the end of the third, the second quarter and came up limping bad. So he ran back to the locker room early. Then the Eagles returned from the half and dominated the third quarter. They held the ball for nearly 10 minutes and scored on their first two possessions of the second half, including a beautiful 29-yard touchdown and a bucket to the corner of the end zone to Devonta Smith. And then, of course, Offensive Player of the Year, A.J. Brown getting in with a four-yard score. And Dallas did nearly respond to open the fourth quarter, but the Eagles' defense came up so huge. It's as you said, Josh, everything happened in this game, including four plays from inside the seven-yard line, and the Eagles eventually forced a turnover on downs, all because Dak found Peyton Hendershot at the goal line, but his knee came down. It's probably less than an inch of the ball crossing the plane. So instead, we get an Eagles tush-push just to give them a little more room on the next possession. Cowboys do eventually get the ball back. On that drive, Dallas Goddard also has a big 28-yard catch. It looks like a broken forearm for him, though. The Eagles are on bye this upcoming week. They return on Monday night against the Chiefs, so we'll see how it all plays out over their bye. But the Cowboys eventually respond in the middle of the fourth quarter except when they made it 23-8, to trying to cut the lead down to a field goal. Dak Prescott on a two-point conversion steps out of bounds just before reaching to the pylon. So instead, we keep it a five-score game. Then, as you said, inside two minutes, the Eagles get the ball back. And on third down, as they're trying to ice the clock, they bobble the snap just to try and move the ball forward, knee it. I don't know what A.J. Brown was doing in motion behind the line of scrimmage, but they were trying to ice the game, and they bobble the snap and just are fortunate to recover it. So Cowboys get the ball back. They drive the field, and it's, as you mentioned, CeeDee Lamb comes up just short on fourth down from picking up a first down and perhaps 
scoring and ending this game. The Eagles come out on top here. This was a game of inches, but the Eagles mm-hmm. are eight and one. They are multiple games ahead of not just the division, but also for the first round by week. If they yeah. can get there, obviously we're only halfway through the season, but the Eagles have not been playing elite football close to it. And they're still walking away with a bunch of wins here. To me, the one flaw, if there is one for the Eagles is one, lots of injuries. The secondary was leaving with injuries. The Dallas Goddard one, like you mentioned, those are kind of popping up a little bit more. Their cornerback play is just not very good. Bradbury and Darius Slay have been a tick down. Their nickel corner has been bad since Maddox has gone on IR and CD lamb was eating dig. I think that's the, to me, the fantasy storyline of the game was CD lamb's involvement, both from the inside and the outside. They're picking their battles. They're using him properly down the field yards after the catch. To me, he looks like a player that's actually in the elite wide receiver category and 191 yards here. What stood out to me and look, it's tough to pick holes in a team that is eight and one this season after nearly going like undefeated for the regular season last year too, and being the dominant force in the NFL. What stood out to me are their two final drives that you talked about Daigle, because like the epitome of, of this Eagles team, when we think about it is, Hey, when they get the ball with six twenty three left on the clock, then they have been this lean on you. We're going to run out the, the game for four or five minutes. And maybe you get a chance with about 45 seconds to go while well, they go three and out. Then, as you talked about, it's a turnover on downs play to Peyton Hendershot very close to the goal line. And then once again, they have another chance with 117 to go to just get a first down and put the game away. And they don't. They go three and out once again. So, look, teams don't always play at their peak at all times. But what Mm -hmm. the Eagles do have is superstars at every single position, basically, that when they aren't performing – at their best at every single one of those spots. Then you have Jalen Hurts who has that like knee bend the opposite direction just for halftime. Then about 15 minutes later coming out of halftime throws a beautiful pass to Devontae Smith for a touchdown. You have A.J. Brown who's winning in one-on-ones. Then you have all these pass rushers at the end of it where, yes, it's a bend-don't-break style, but they just need one one-on-one or one tip pass to then wreak havoc and force the game to end. And it feels like, again, they do have superstars that can close out games for them. I was just going to ask about just Tony Pollard real quick because it's another game where not really involved. The game script wasn't ideal for him either, but you didn't feel like there was a special play or anything that I that caught my eye that was like popping out. So like another kind of L in the Tony Pollard column. He grinded to his yards and looked explosive without actually tacking on any explosives. But... At the same time, it's an Eagles defense that still, after Pollard just played them, has not allowed a single running back to reach 60 rushing yards on the year. That's just not how you attack Philadelphia. So no one's ever going to – well, someone might get lucky here and there, but yet to this point, no one has had success against them. So just a bad spot for Pollard overall. It's pretty amazing that we get this Dak Prescott performance where he's just outstanding, right? Mm -hmm. 29 to 44, 374, three touchdowns. They do take five sacks on the day. Uh, Just 73 total rushing yards and 14 of those are coming from Dak Prescott's hands. And we've talked about CeeDee Lamb and how they're using him inside and how they're using him outside and getting these advantageous matchups. And you have Jake Ferguson, who's like really popping now, like really popping and Look, Titan has been a wasteland this season, but we're stacking these weeks, at least in a period of time. Um, but then outside of that, man, like Jalen Tolbert had some decent downs, but then like there was a fourth down conversion that they tried to throw to him that 
I don't know why you take that shot on one-on-one. And then Michael Gallup continues to have like the drops and Mm -hmm. then Brandon Cooks uh, just goes for one for seven on two targets here because he's now a possession receiver. So I'm just kind of looking at the differences of these two teams because on some level they have similarities, star pass rushers, good quarterback play, but it feels like the Eagles moves that they have made to try to like take them over the top over the last two years have worked. And whereas the Cowboys this season, main looking at Brandon Cooks, for example, is not doing that so far. Yeah, to me, Ferguson's their second best skill player right now, like behind C.D. Lamb. I think they know that, too, because it's the second week in a row that Tolbert has rotated with Gallup as their third receiver. I did want to ask about DeAndre Swift versus Kenny Gainwell, because we did have this awesome start to the season outside of week one for DeAndre Swift, but... Dago, it seems like recently, maybe not the carries because it's 18 to three for Swift yeah. versus Gainwell. But then we did get Gainwell inside of the 20 yard line for that rushing score. And again, outside of the 10 yard line, at least once they got closer. And at one point, DeAndre Swift did get a couple carries inside the 10 yard line. That's what led to Hertz's tush push touchdown, because if Swift gets stuffed at the one, we know what happens on the very next play. So he got rocked again. Again, but just the fact that it's 20 touches to Kenneth Gainwell's four, absolutely nothing to see here, in my opinion. Uh, yes, you got Vulture for the touchdown, but you were still very confident. Swift even getting open this one downfield for a couple receptions. Last night, I had Devontae Smith, 13% target share in this one. There are man versus zone splits. I lean towards A.J. Brown. Typically, the Cowboys play a lot of man coverage, so obviously A.J. Brown separates here, but... At the same time, Devontae Smith can still come down with a long touchdown. Just target volume. He's just going to be kind of stuck in wide receiver three land to me right now. Yeah, and believe Dallas Goddard leaves with an injury. So if that yeah. carries over, I know there's a bye week. Oh, it's a forearm. Sorry. So if that carries over through their bye week, and then they get obviously the Chiefs on Monday Night Football outside of that bye. Buccaneers versus Texans. Let's go all the way to the first drive out of halftime, skip the entire first two quarters where the Bucks are leading 20 to 10 after a field goal. What we get in, out of halftime is Darley Ogunbowale becomes the Houston Texans kicker. This is kind of a short little sample of what is to come in this awesome, chaotic, fun, exciting matchup. Uh, Kaimi Fairbairn has a thigh or quad issue. Uh, so after that, again, 20 to 10, comes 20 to 16 on a singular play in the next drive a 75 yarder to everyone's favorite noah brown who catches the ball 20 yards down the field is sprung 55 more yards by a great tank dell block bucks respond with a field goal there get to third and 11 on the next drive after a third and one penalty draws them back 10 yards for the houston texans and i think an under the radar play that allowed the texans to claw back for this great come from behind victory is a Dalton Schultz catch five yards on the field. He breaks out of a tackle by Levante David, one of the best in the league for the last decade. And then Tank Dell scores on a 29-yarder just a couple plays later. Uh, the Bucks in that third quarter had just 19 yards compared to 208 for the Houston Texans. They followed it with another punt. The Texans then drive another 52 yards to a fourth and goal, by the way. They can't kick a field goal to make it 25-23 because they don't have a kicker because their third-string running back is their kicker right now. So instead, C.J. Stroud throws a touchdown, 30-23, Texans to Dalton Schultz on fourth and goal. He runs it in for a two-pointer after that. And the Bucs respond somehow 
53 yard shot to Mike Evans on the one yard line. Rashad White gets a second goal line score. So it's 30 to 30. The next drive, even crazier. There's a zone read action to Devin Singletary, who then pitches it back to CJ Stroud. I don't think this is in the playbook. It might have been. If so, it's very cool. And that drive ends with a Dario Gunboi field goal, which, like we thought, wasn't possible here, but he kicks oh, it yeah. through a former soccer player. 4.30 to go. Bucks get the ball back. Mike Evans leads with an injury. Godwin out with a rest. They lose eight yards in the first play. Brings him to third, third and 23. Then a fourth and two. Baker Mayfield pumps the ball about four times, then rushes it for a first down. Then Trey Palmer fumbles the next snap. Mike Evans picks it up for a 15-yard gain. Then they get a touchdown to K-Dot in just a few downs later. Finally, ball at 25. Must get a touchdown here for the Houston Texans and C.J. Stroud. 46 seconds to go, down 37 to 33. 14 yards to Dalton Schultz. Timeout. Six-yard gain to Dalton Schultz. Timeout. Following snap, 14-yard gain to Noah Brown. Spike the football. Then we get a 26-yarder honey hole shot. Left sideline versus zone to Tank Dell. Toe drag, then a 16-yarder for the score. Only needed 40 out of the 46 seconds for C.J. Stroud with the biggest comeback of his career so far with many, many more to come. That was the highest scoring quarterback performance by a rookie in fantasy of all time. He is now second in adjusted yards per pass attempt in NFL history among rookies with eight starts. He is absolutely mind-blowing right now. C.J. Stroud is reminding me of the Justin Herbert rookie season, and he's getting it done with the worst supporting cast. All their interior linemen are hurt. Uh, PFF has him with 14 times under pressure, but he is so poised. That S2 test stock has been hitting the absolute floor. <laughs> but it's really, and Josh, this is the passing chart right here. It's these over-the-middle throws, man. Totally. This is not normal stuff. It's the most efficient stuff in the league. The touch on the deep passes were amazing. That honey hole shot that you're talking about on that game-winning drive was one of the best throws you'll see out there. His poise under not the best circumstances makes him already through eight weeks or eight games for him the lock for offensive rookie of the year and the Texans should be doing backflips uh, with their draft pick. Yeah, 30 of 42, 470 yards, five touchdowns, as you mentioned. That's the largest number of fantasy points ever for a rookie quarterback. And he did it without really rushing points. It was just the two-point conversion that he added. And speaking of rushing, like this wasn't an ideal performance by either C.J. Stroud or Bobby Slowick with this offense in the first two quarters. Like Bobby Slowick kept trying to run the ball on first down and it was getting shut down. I mean, great. You all get Devin Singletary's lead running back. He goes 13 carries for 26 yards for two yards a pop against this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. And then finally in the second half, it felt like they just got rid of it. They just totally dished that away and finally put the ball mm -hmm. into his hands. And I can't even tell you how Noah Brown goes six for 153 and a <laughs> score, because if you go and look at his catches, other than that one that popped off so many of them, like, four or five or six or seven yards on the field. He's, he's still trying to like create separation by pushing off and like the dark arts of the game. And he does it. And the placement's great. And then tank Dell. I'm so glad this is back in her life because it felt like ever since I don't know, week three or week four injuries, opponents, we haven't seen these deep shots, these vertical routes, and we got them in a big way here. 11 targets, I think including seven in the first half, six receptions, 114 yards and two scores, John Daigle. It's not just this game for Noah Brown either. Coming into this in his two games since injured reserve, he had back-to-back 20.8% target share performances. So he's been over 15% of the team's targets in three consecutive games now. And for Devin Singletary, we all knew a very rough spot against the Bucks front seven, allowing the eighth fewest yards per carry to opposing 
and running backs, but 15 to 16 running back touches. We'll see what happens with Damian Pierce because next week the Texans get the Bengals who are allowing the league's highest explosive run play rate. So it could be a better spot if Pierce remains out next week. I will say they pass the ball on 66% of their uh, series this, this game, which is way higher than it typically is for the Texans. If I can pick one, let's Russ cook of the year. It would be let Stroud cook enough with the ground game. This is what we need. And the ben- one of the big beneficiaries is Dalton Schultz. There's not yeah. a single fantasy analyst that wants to claim Dalton Schultz. I kind of was doing that. But <laughs> the last five weeks of, of the season, he's averaging like 13 fantasy points. I mean, that is what a tight end one looks like, especially if they say enough already with the ground stuff. It's not going to work. Their running backs are bad. The interior is bad. And let's just see what we got with C.J. Stroud and see if we can set some rookie records with him some more. Yeah, and again, I want to point to those opening two quarters because when you guys go back and watch this, I think you actually see some misses by C.J. Stroud, which is kind of unreal when you look at his final stat line here. He had two misses to Tank Dell. He was having some elongated plays where he was getting kind of like happy feet and a bit uncomfortable in the pocket, even though it was very clean. But again, it was all cleared in the second half. And that final drive, that final drive to uh, understand like the time and the place of 46 seconds, two timeouts, Everything isn't just the sideline. I love that Tamika Ryans and Bobby Slowick and CJ Stroud were getting these like 14 yard gains and a six yard gain and just using them quickly because look, this was CJ Stroud against Georgia basically to try to win that game when he had an awesome two minute drill that I broke down with Josh McCown back in the day. Right. And so we, we know that he has the recipe to do this and then just taking those chunk gains. Cause that's like the big decision in these final two minute drills or minute um when okay i'm gonna take these shots but when can i take the two big ones and mm-hmm. he did that to tank dell back-to-back place and shout out to the bucks i mean look baker mayfield 21 to 30 265 and two scores it has certainly regressed a little bit but mike evans made an awesome play down the field for 53 yards kate otten talk about late round tight ends popping six receptions for 70 yards mm-hmm. and two scores and and really rashad white just gets there with two goal line carries but as we know, he is the one that is still getting all of the work despite the rushing inefficiency being there. So again, two touchdowns certainly aids his day on top of that. Auden had run a route on over 80% of dropbacks in every game since week three. So he's been out there as an every down tight end. The issue is that he wasn't earning targets. But now in his last three games, he's been over 14%. And in this one, a team high 30% target share. So all that opportunity is suddenly becoming volume. And shout out to Dare Ugumbawale. Like, <laughs> of course, this, hero. If, if you don't make that field goal, then we have huge changes in this game. Yeah. But also, like, if they did have a regular field goal kicker, they probably wouldn't have been as aggressive in a fourth and goal situation earlier. And he was also punt, like, blasting these kickers as well that and one was a touchback that wasn't also a penalty another one was on top of that so shout out to a man who i think they're i think their punter is like an australian rules football guy that's what i was gonna say how how much of a beta does the punter feel letting the third string kicker or running back go out and kick it while he sits on the sideline so they, they were listing dario gumbawale's like high school numbers and he played like five different sports including soccer so maybe this is like a i don't know Chad Ojosinko, Justin Reed type right. situation. But I think the punter just didn't even play a lot of college ball because he came from Australia. And so mm-hmm. he probably has not ever practiced field goals. But Ogunbowale only practiced them on the sideline. They had never practiced this before in, wow. during the week or the offseason. So that's pretty amazing. Dang. Let's 
try to pinpoint this for everyone because CJ Stroud right now is the QB four in points wow. per game on the entire season. So <laughs> would you prefer Tua or Stroud rest of season? I got to go Tua still, but yeah. but it's, we're uh, we're we're in that conversation. Yeah, we're I, we're I, in I, Tua Sam Hal Dak range. Wow. I, I think that is pretty amazing. Would never have thought of CJ Stroud up in that area because, again, we always consider rushing points in that department, Daigle, as like yeah. being such a major factor in all of it. And I'm just looking at his numbers right now. Uh, he's the quarterback four, you, five overall, you said? Because what's QB crazy is his weekly finishes. Wow. His weekly finishes, just a quarterback 13, a quarterback 12, a quarterback 10, and a quarterback 12. So he still hasn't hit. Other than this week, obviously, where he's the quarterback one, a top even nine finish before this. So I'm still siding with the other guys around him. I mean, he's to me, he's a top 10-ish quarterback in the NFL. Like, forget fantasy. Like, he is absolutely balling out there. Uh, quick question. Mike Evans, I saw him, like, on the sideline at times in this game. Was there anything serious with that, or was it just like, like a, him? Like a back that? thing. And, he, yeah, I mean, there was a loss of eight later on where both he and Chris Godwin were out. Uh, but I, I don't think it was anything serious on top okay. of it. We'll keep it moving. Seahawks versus Ravens. Talk about a statement game. 37 to three. The Baltimore Ravens improved to seven and two, being the F Seattle Seahawks, who are five and three on the season. Hayden, we talked about it so often this season. If it ever clicked for the Ravens, they might look like one of the best teams in the league. That happened in week nine. This is three straight games where their team scored at least 30 points. This is the second time this season that a team has at least 298 rushing yards and three touchdowns. The other one being that crazy Dolphins game. There was designed runs from Lamar Jackson. There was a 23-yard scramble from Lamar Jackson. He didn't get it really done in fantasy because the running backs were the ones to pay off. Gus Bus doing a fantastic Jamal Williams impression this year, minus the touchdown dances that are impossible to impress on. But we also had Keaton Mitchell blast off in garbage time for a 60 yard scamper actually looked pretty solid out there. The pass game when this wasn't complete garbage time was all the way through Mark Andrews. He has season highs in targets, receptions and uh, yards. And this one does not score a touchdown. They basically gave Odell Beckham a free touchdown with, uh, the backup quarterback because Odell has been kind of chirping that he doesn't love his role. Well, when you are still playing, when the rest of the starting lineup is in, you will get the ball. And that's what happened to Odell. Uh, I think the only bad part for fantasy was really Zay flowers only has one catch on this one. Um, he's been held under 80 yards in every game. He had just one touchdown on the season. So he's, this is like his, the first like truly bottoming out game. Um, but we are getting effective rushing from Gus Edwards, who only had to touch the ball. I believe it was only five times in this game, but he had a 42-yard uh, play, and then he also had two goal line touchdowns. And the 42-yard run is one we will be watching on stats versus film. So they're 7-2. and two. This team is locked and loaded. If they are not a top three team, they're certainly a top five team. They are a feisty team that I think belongs in the conversation with the Chiefs, the Bills, and the Bengals. Certainly a statement win here. But really, the, the MVP was the Ravens pass rush. I do want to point out, because I think it's going to be a crucial part of waiver wires, that you mentioned garbage time, but Keaton Mitchell did have as many carries as Edwards and Justice Hill in the first half alone. 
four apiece. So like he was actually being involved from the first half. And from what I saw, uh, he looks like a walking explosive every single time he yes. touches the ball. I liked him in college. He's so small that like you, I think he'll be in this role. And yeah. You think people, I think people will hype him up more than what's well, justified, but I do think as a third running back, he can do justice Hill things plus. So let, let's have that conversation because again, it's going to be a huge talking point. Justice Hill has been fine. If you want to even put that on him for what they want him in the games for, which are more so outside carries, running back receptions, all those things. It's very clear that Keaton Mitchell has the juice and that can lead to, you know, a 60 yard gain. I think he had another 42 yard gain or whatever it was on top of that. But I personally don't think he's ever going to take away those goal line touchdowns that we get no. from Gus Edwards. Oh, that no, could also no. go to Lamar Jackson. So it, it's almost like you're living on an explosive play if Keaton Mitchell's going to factor in here. So to me, Gus Edwards is still by far and away the back that we want of this grouping. And then if like there's an explosive play to Keaton Mitchell, that probably means there's not going to be explosive play to like Zay Flowers, for example, right. in this game. Zay Flowers still without an end zone target on the year two, which is always concerning when they start featuring Odell Beckham, Nelson Aguilar in that range of the field instead. Yeah, that does happen to, uh, what was he, 5'9", 170-pound player, so that is the concern with him. And I think it'll be difficult to overcome. On the other side of the ball, there was it was just a complete meltdown based off of the offensive line. But I do just want to give credit just like straight up to the Ravens' pass rush. They ha- they, they're pretty deep over there. Yeah. Um, we had... Kyle Van Noy, dude. Right. Like, they all their signings are awesome. Uh, we had 20 pressures on 35 dropbacks for Geno Smith. And Geno Smith was throwing the ball quick, 2.4 uh, seconds on his time to throw, and he still was pressured 20 times. That's not a good combination at right tackle. I'm not sure if you guys caught this, but Jason Peters is rotating in at right tackle. He's going to be 42 years old, 42 in January, and he's actually getting some snaps. So that's not a good situation. Uh, there was a interception that I thought was just Tyler Lockett not knowing the play. That was disappointing for Geno Smith. There was a strip sack going into half. This game was so out of whack in the second half. That's really hard to comprehend anything. DK Metcalf, 50 yard, uh, crossing route with some yards after the catch JSN. He had an early drop, but he also had season highs in targets, receptions and yards. The problem though, is that was in garbage time when the Seahawks were just passing the ball. And then the running back rotation, obviously Kenneth Walker doesn't get home because of the game script. He started, he had a check down early, but when the game script goes away from him, he's losing third and long snaps on the first drive. That's going to be a problem for Kenneth Walker. So I think to me, this was just like, we know the Ravens offense can get going, but as a reminder, they are spicy in the secondary. And I think their pass rush is legit. So they have, they have the formula to go on a Super Bowl run and the Seahawks, while we think they're feisty, they just don't have the same pass rush. They have some offensive line injuries to work through. And it's just been very inconsistent ball from Geno Smith this year compared to last year. It resembles though the, back couple months of last year for Geno Smith, where we lost all the fun in it because out of their buy now four games, he does have six picks, two fumbles. Perhaps that is due to pressure, but while he has splash plays on tape, there's still some very poor decisions out there for a yeah. variety I mean, he, of reasons. He's, he's just going to be super aggressive. You know, he's going to yeah. be super aggressive. And 
I love that in a quarterback, but it can also give you a 13 of 28 for 157 yards against like the number one defense <laughs> sure. in the NFL. Well, I think we are running into a little bit of the problem that the 49ers have where there's like five guys that are worthy of touching the ball. Right. But is this team good enough like the 49ers that all of them can do? Like I'm still looking at Tyler Lockett. He gets eight targets. He's not been the same player this year. DK Metcalf, he only gets four targets in this game because JSN is more involved. But JSN, even on his targets, they're the least valuable ones because they're right next to the line of scrimmage. He's not as involved in the red zone. So I'm a little bit concerned that like we can be hyping these guys up as like wide receiver two, wide receiver three with upside. But we keep saying that, not kind of actually doing sitting sitting here and actually doing the math of what this offense wants to be because they are somewhat balanced this year with the two running backs. And not that it would have mattered in this type of environment anyhow, but we heard Pete Carroll go out of his way to talk about Zach Charbonnet basically every single mm-hmm. day this week, and it amounts to five touches to Walker's 10. Yeah, we, we talked about this on the Sunday morning show, Daigle. To me, mm-hmm. people read into him glowingly talking about Zach Charbonnet too much because he has glowingly talked about Kenneth Walker in the past too. So just because he does it to one doesn't mean he's not doing it to the other person, if that makes sense. Completely fair. Three days in a row is still a lot, though. Yeah, no, it is. Find me a player that Pete Carroll doesn't speak glowingly about. <laughs> Point made. Yeah. Uh, very fun matchup coming up with the Baltimore Ravens next week against the Cleveland Browns. It's at home in Baltimore. So we get the best two defenses in the league with arguably the Ravens hitting their peak at the right time offensively. And we'll discuss that the Browns are at that in just a moment too. Daigle, what do you want to say? And I know you want to drop Geno Smith. Perhaps there's someone else on your waiver wire, but commanders right over this hill this upcoming weekend. So I think we have to bite the bullet one more time on Seahawks passing game as a litmus test. I don't know, man. I don't, I know. I don't think he has like a single pretty. week in like the top 15 or top 17 this season. <laughs> no, it's so not it, pretty. It is, it is certainly not pretty. Meanwhile, Lamar Jackson did not have a single incompletion on passes 10 yards or less today. I mean, that is pinpoint accuracy. All right, we move on to the next game. Vikings versus Falcons. I mean, the Falcons are such great theater. They lose <laughs> this game in the end, 31 to 28, by the Joshua Dobbs off the bench led Minnesota Vikings. John Daigle, talk us through this one. When I drafted this one before Washington Commanders behind the scenes, I was upset at myself. I I forgot the Commanders and Patriots were left on the board. I thought that was going to be a shootout, but this was actually fun. Uh, In the first quarter alone, like Vikings line up Alexander Madison out wide. Jaron Hall hits him deep for a 47-yard gain down the field. And then from the one-yard line, on on that same possession, Madison gets stuffed for negative three yards. Hall misses TJ Hawkinson and then Hall himself takes off on third and four and just gets smoked at the goal line. A very scary moment, basically ruled out immediately with concussion. So Josh Dobbs, who first arrived at the facility on Wednesday and didn't take a single snap in Minnesota's practice at any point this week, comes off the bench. The issue is it didn't start fun because he was the same person he was at least to begin the game that he was the last month in Arizona. Three of his first four possessions end in a safety, a fumble. The Falcons ran back to the one-yard line and a fumble inside Minnesota's 40. That ensuing goal line possession, I'm sure you all have already heard about from that first fumble because that is what Atlanta on their offensive series 
did inside the six. A false start to bring them back. And then Taylor Heineke passes short to Jonu Smith, who gains five yards to the one-yard line. Jonu Smith then receives a carry over both Tyler Algier and Bijan Robinson for no gain. And then Algier gets stuffed for negative four yards. And the Falcons end up kicking a field goal on fourth and five. At the end of the first half, though, Bijan Robinson, seven touches, Cordero Patterson, three, and Algier, three which is what everyone's upset about. The Falcons even led 14 to 13 mid third quarter, but they had no offensive touchdowns to that point. Only when Taylor Heineke threw a screen pass to Jonu Smith, who just turned it upfield for 60 yards. So Heineke really didn't even do anything. Did they finally put points on the board as an offense to take a 21, 13 lead, but on their next series to try to go up by two scores and ice this game, Bijan Robinson fumbled inside in their own 20 to give Dobbs a short field and an 18-yard touchdown scramble to tie it. Then, on the very next play for the Falcons, too, Heineke throws interception inside his own 25, allowing the Vikings to kick a field goal and basically swing two plays into 13 points in a lead. The Falcons got the ball back, 9.06 remaining, trailing by that three points, and they basically cowered into a four-minute offense ran the ball on 12 of their final 13 plays before Tyler Algier, who outcarried Bijan 9-3 to close the game following Bijan's fumble, scored the go-ahead touchdown from the five-yard line. But when you are not an Arthur Smith offense and you can, are capable of pushing the ball downfield, you obviously have a chance inside two minutes. And that's when Josh Dobbs steps up. Finds T.J. Hawkinson on third and one, hits Jordan Addison deep for a 24-yard gain, scrambles for 22 yards on fourth and seven. And then with only 22 seconds remaining, finds Brandon Powell for the game winning six yard touchdown. So it was Josh Dobbs who they said afterwards was translating these plays from the huddle because they were being mapped out by Kevin O'Connor from the sideline because Dobbs was still learning everything about the offense gets it done over Arthur Smith, which is not toxic group thing. It seemed like they were, getting the play call in, he would repeat it. And then after repeating it to his teammates, then O'Connell would tell him, <laughs> all right, that's a dagger concept on that side. This is a yeah. bubble screen on that side. And he was still figuring it out. I mean, that's one of the most chaotic possible wins that you can possibly have. It makes the Heineke versus Ritter and the toxic groups thing on the other side, even more mm-hmm. embarrassing, but also just shout out Dobbs coming out of nowhere to save this team. Yeah. You'll call it chaotic. I'll call it legendary because not only does Joshua Dobbs go into Arizona and make some things happen and make them far more competitive, then he gets shipped out because, you know, Kyler Murray is coming back. They want to get something in return for him to just sit on the bench. And then now, as you're talking about, we're getting these just incredible quotes from beat writers. Here it is from Alex Lewis. Josh Dobbs said that Vikings head coach Kevin O'Connell was essentially translating calls and mapping out plays mid-huddle as the play clock was ticking down. KOC called Dobbs' ability to handle it all one of the most impressive things he's seen in his career. And then after the game, Josh Dobbs just casually grabs a phone to the NFL social account and says, let me introduce myself. I'm Joshua Dobbs. Let's have a great rest of the season. And this is a three-touchdown performance from a guy off the bench to, again, make this incredible theater so we get awesome Arthur Smith press conferences the rest of the week as well. It was kind of the Cardinals offense, too, because remember, 
the Cardinals were second in tight end target rate with Dobbs under center. He comes in and he gives a 41% target share to TJ Hawkinson. Now, Osborne was lost for the game, carted off with a concussion. Uh, Cam Akers, I believe the reports are he tore his other Achilles in yeah. this one. So just a uh, injury scattered around the Vikings' offense. But today, that's how they got the job done. Hayden, I, I, I don't even know how to a- answer this question or ask this question because I don't know if there's an answer. What do we make of the Bijan Robinson and Tyler Algier split? Because if there was ever a week for Arthur Smith just to be like, okay, we drafted Bijan Robinson inside the top 10. I know he fumbles here, so like maybe that can be a part of this. But he gets 11 carries, two receptions. Is this just a case where... We literally need to just forget about where he was drafted in the NFL draft, where he was drafted in fantasy football, just hard reset and say, it's a 50-50 split. He's more explosive, but they're also not run blocking nearly as well as they were last year. To me, it's pretty simple. They're bottom five in short yarded success rate, but all of those are going to Tyler Algier. There was even a sequence where it was a Johnny Smith end around where Algier was on the field at the goal line. That got stuffed. Next play, they give it to Algier. That play got stuffed. I mean, Algier versus Bijan inside the five-yard line, it's like 14-2 to two at this point on the season. So that's where the split is most important right now. And, like, Bijan's exceptional, but we can't be banking on 40, 50-yard touchdowns, you know? Like, the name of the game is touchdowns or absurd amount of targets. And Bijan gets a fine enough amount of targets, but it's not a legendary amount of targets, and he's not getting to the goal line. And quite frankly, it's hard to even get this Falcons team to the goal line in the first place. Daigle, let me ask you this question. Kyle Pitts usage, what was it like? This was obviously without Drake London. And so Johnny Smith goes out there for five receptions, 100 yards and a score. Kadero Hodge is the second leading receiver at three for 60. Then we get Kyle Pitts, five targets, four receptions, 56 yards. That is certainly not alpha, quote unquote, wide receiver stuff from a guy that we thought might emerge here when the team does pass for 268 yards. And considering Janu got the shallow targets, it just yeah. never comes easy for Kyle Pitts. Nothing, nothing attractive per usual. Did a lot of his damage in the second half. I believe he had three catches for 36 receiving yards by the time Janu had already pasted everyone for that 60-yard touchdown. So really did it in comeback mode. Uh, nothing encouraging, unfortunately. Final question for you, Daigle. Is there enough that Taylor Heineke put on the field for this game? for him to remain the starter next week against the Arizona Cardinals. Trying to get into Arthur Smith's head always takes <laughs> too much brain power, man. It's like, it's like, I know I, we just heard like the reaction from you, Hayden, Abisha Robinson and Tyler Algier. And I completely agree. And in a way, my sentiment is different than everyone in fantasy, because to me, it's like, Oh, this is great because we can project for Arthur Smith being a dunce. And so I could always just like not start Bijan Robinson as a top 12 running back because we never think Arthur Smith's going to use him correctly. And so that's the way I view the situation. I think Heineke's back under center. But again, man, like that interception, it was so poor. He had another dropped one in the game too. So we'll just see. I don't know. All right. We'll keep it moving. Colts versus Panthers. Speaking of interceptions, Bryce Young throws two pick sixes, both to Kenny Moore in this game and a third later on as the Indianapolis Colts beat the Carolina Panthers 27 to 13. The Colts improved to four and five on the year. 
obviously when you have basically 14 combined points by your defense, you don't have to put up much offensively. That leads Gardner Minshew for just 120 yards and a score on 26 attempts. Uh, I think the biggest talking point too from the Colts end is Jonathan Taylor really pacing Zach Moss in both snaps, played 75% of snaps and touches in the first half. I think he had 16 that only equaled 23 by then the game because they barely touched the football in the third quarter. He goes 18 carries, 47 yards. So just 2.6 yards per pop. Uh, but then five receptions for 22 yards and a touchdown on top of that. Michael Pittman, eight receptions, 64 yards. And then Josh Downs was extremely questionable to enter this game, played like the first series, and then immediately it was ruled out with a knee issue and was replaced by Isaiah McKenzie. And then the Panthers end. Um, maybe the biggest talking point is like, other than obviously the quarterback play, is Adam Thielen not getting there for really the first time this season. Uh, just six targets, five receptions, 29 yards. Two of those receptions were in the final stanza of this game uh and then yeah chuba hubbard still leads this team with the most carries at 16 for 58 uh this also was miles sanders best rushing game 6.5 yards per pop six carries for 39 yards and then miles sanders gets five targets on top of that so he kind of was the passing down back in some ways on top of it so yeah bryce young overthrew a screen pass was late on a check down to chuba hubbard and threw that ball inside and both those were returned and after a good week last week, this was a miserable week that you can tag along to, let's say, week one against the Falcons and say Bryce Young was probably the reason why he the Panthers lost two of the games that they have so far this year. Now on the season, Bryce Young, one touchdown, six picks for five yards per attempt against his own coverage. And yeah. I think maybe because Adam Thielen is – a fringe top 50 receiver right now and targets per route run against zone coverage, which you wouldn't think so given the fact he's hammered targets. But logically, if Young loses his best receiver against that particular scheme, then where else does he go with this cast of talent? And I think that's what's happening. Well, that's my problem right now is Bryce was supposed to be this guy as a rookie that was not going to be spooked. And like these zone splits are a little bit, concerning for me but i do think it's a good point that Thielen is the one that is really taking the hit and bringing everything down but it's just brutal run out for bryce just because the timing of the cg stroud legendary performance obviously is just <laughs> going to be like it's just going to be they're going to be compared i think it's right to compare them just like yeah, as yeah. a reminder because it wasn't just the pick it's also the panthers right now would have the second overall pick they would also have DJ Moore. So it's like the, all the eggs go into this this, this no, basket. No, 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 no. What, what, what are you saying with that? They also wouldn't well, have DJ Moore. No, what I'm saying is like they went all the way in and they need him to be a guy because they have no right. other they have no other assets. But that that doesn't have to do anything on. with CJ Stroud. But you need him to elevate, like be a dude, not a distributor. Totally. And yeah. we're seeing that with the other guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I mean, to me. When a day like this happens, when CJ Stroud balls out, then it becomes, okay, then the other guy can't be good either, you know? And is CJ Stroud's rookie year better than Bryce Young's? 100%, you know? To me, am I still confident and optimistic that CJ Stroud is going to be great in this league? Yes. Do I think Bryce Young is going to be good, great in this league? I do. Do I think Anthony Richardson is going to be great in this league? I do. So I am almost – uh going against the belief that, well, if one is good, then the other one can't. 
But I don't think I think, I think everyone's just saying Bryce is bad and CJ is good. I don't think anyone's saying that Bryce is only bad because yeah, that's CJ the, is good. No, I think it's just the world we live in. That that's exactly what it's I'm pushing against. Like, did Bryce have a bad game this week? Yes, but Hayden, we can look back to last week and show where he elevated this team and made ludicrous throws and beat the Houston Texans and outplayed CJ Stroud on the opposite end of that game. Now, has that happened as often as CJ Stroud has played well this year? Not at all. And to me, watching the Panthers, it's a miserable experience. It's a really bad team at this moment. And again, I just want to point out that there are multiple quarterbacks in the same class that can be good. And we are nine weeks into a rookie season and there is a long way to go. And just because one is doing well doesn't mean the other one also can't end up doing well. Was this a bad experience that in a short term we can look at when one sets a rookie record? A hundred percent. I think CJ Stroud and Hayden, you knew this, like during the entire draft process, we love CJ Stroud. We talked highly of CJ Stroud and his placement and everything. And he's elevated his game on top of that. Um, I, I, I am just against the idea that Bryson is a bust already. And to me, that is blasphemous seven games into his rookie season. The splits from the Bucks defense out of their bye, remember, over eight yards per attempt, 300 plus yards and a couple touchdowns, a road, Jared Goff, Desmond Ritter had 10 yards per attempt, and then zombie shoulder Josh Allen had success for eight yards per attempt against them too. Now the CJ Stroud performance. So was CJ Stroud great? Absolutely. But also the Bucks defense the last month out of their bye has absolutely crumbled and has become a target for us. Anything you want to add? Well, I was just going to say, like, I just think the what the Panthers need from Bryce Young is to be a superstar because they have they've traded away all of their assets during this rookie contract. And that's the part that to yeah. me would be terrifying as somebody. I think Bryce Young could reach a, a quality level, but I haven't seen the superstar traits. That is what you need to overcome when you say the whole the whole organization's out of here. We're going to get our guy. And our guy has not been that dude. Aside from a couple passes last week, there's been some scrambles here and there. But the consistency, like there was more interceptions this season than I was hoping for for somebody that totally. was like kind of build like this. And they need him to be a superstar, and he just hasn't shown it yet. I I think I'm not saying these are two separate conversations, but the Panthers totally mismanage surrounding him with the cast that they have on top of it. Like we've talked about with the Miles Sanders contracts, the Hayden Hurst contracts. Now guys exactly. are outplaying them and that certainly has not worked at all. And then dealing away DJ Moore to then get Adam Thielen as your leading receiver as the only one who can get open. Like that's just a, a bad situation to be right. 100%. And so yes, if because of those things in order for the Panthers to win this season, would Bryce Young need to play incredible football? Yes. Is he playing incredible football right now? No. Do I think because he's not playing good football today that he is going to end up being a bad pick by the Carolina Panthers? I do not. I think that the situation does need to change and does need to get better. And so does his play. Again, an overthrown screen and a, a late on a check down for both pick sixes. Those are plays that simply cannot happen. But to your point, Hayden, in order for them to win this year, he has to play near flawless football. And this was the furthest thing from that last week. He absolutely did it. So this team is, it's going to be miserable. If you are a Panthers fan 
watching them have a top five overall selection again, and that going to be like Marvin Harrison Jr. Right. But that is the price that they paid if it was going to get Bryce Young or if it was going to get CJ Stroud. Mm -hmm. And I think that, and then how they tried to recover from it to try to, you know, fill in the gaps. Those are just stacking, I think, bad decisions from Scott Fitter and company right now. Is yep. this, is this what it's like when I'm not here in the middle of the week between y'all? <laughs> no, this is this is just Josh's. It's, it's been a crazy game for the Bryce and CJ Stroud discussion. <laughs> but I, I think I think it comes down. There's just so many opinions out there of it has to be this guy versus this guy, in my opinion. And and some level it was for the number one overall selection. Like the Panthers had to have those discussions. But from a party that was not inside those discussions, Hayden, again, I will repeat this. You know that I firmly have believed since last February that all three of these guys could be quality stars and were worthy of the number one overall pick. I just don't want to lose sight of the opinion that it wasn't just the Panthers. If the Houston Texans were there at the number one selection, they were also taking Bryce Young. That let's not write off a dude seven weeks into a season as we have just seen in previous quarterbacks, uh, miserable situations can bring down the ceiling that they bring to the mm -hmm. team at the exact same time. Totally fair. Have you ever been on vacation after a long day of activities or sightseeing? You have a night in room service, bathrobes and television or movies. And when you're in a foreign country, you scroll Netflix or Hulu or whatever streaming service you have. And you realize that the library of content there is so much larger than it is in the United States. You start a new show, a new series, and when you get back home, you realize you now have to find that on a different service or pay for it in a different way. That is where Surfshark comes in. It's a VPN service that lets you virtually travel the world with a tap of a finger. You can go to Spain, Canada, Costa Rica to watch the content available in those countries. So you can try Surfshark today, totally risk-free with a 30-day money-back guarantee. And get Surfshark VPN at surfshark.deals underdog or enter promo code underdog for three extra months for free. You heard me right, three extra months for free. That is surfshark.deals underdog. Rams versus Packers. In a week that we do not get Matthew Stafford, we get Brett Rippon instead. He goes for 4.6 yards per uh, yards per attempt, excuse me, for 130 yards. And meanwhile, on the other end, 20 points from the Green Bay Packers. Did we see any light at the end of the tunnel for this offense? I guess so. Um, it was the difference in this game was Jordan Love was actually complete, uh, completing his passes of 10 plus air yards. He was six of eight on them. Of course, one of the two incompletions was a miserably underthrown pass to Christian Watson that would have been a walk-in touchdown for him. Watson, he leaves late in the game with a chest, back, and concussion. Uh, he went up for a ball, landed on all three of those body parts, uh, and that was a deep completion, but really not that involved. Jaden Reed, only 15 of 32 draw uh, uh, routes run on this one. Romeo Dobbs doesn't really do a whole lot here, so it was a better game for Jordan Love but not good enough to make a, a massive difference maker. My guy, Luke Musgrave, does score a touchdown. It's one of those, the George Kittle famous ones, fake left, fake right. Then you have the tight end sitting over the middle. He goes in for a score here. I guess the biggest fantasy storyline, aside from Christian Watson only catching one pass here, 
was Aaron Jones actually unlocked here. He had 20 carries, including a touchdown. And then he also caught four of his six targets here. So when Aaron Jones is getting 24% of the targets, it's hard to have any reliability for Musgrave, Watson, Dobbs, Reed, you name them, because they're also getting wicks uh, onto the field as well, who had a hilarious fumble trying to reach out of bounds. The ball popped up straight to the Rams. So this is a fine enough game. It didn't give me like a bunch of conviction for Jordan Love. Assuredly, he still took four sacks against a defense. That's not very good in my opinion, but just sad that like really aside from like Luke Musgrave and best ball, uh, there wasn't a major winner here. Uh, good to see Aaron Jones back in our RB two lives though. I think Jones handling a season high share of backfield touches, 63%, as you mentioned, is probably mm-hmm. the biggest one here. The Rams also on by next week. So I'm hoping we don't have to deal with this. Puka cup from Brett Rippon anymore beyond today. Yeah. Um, uh- I think that's a very optimistic view of Aaron Jones, and we should have one because what we got from Matt LaFleur in his press conferences this week was, hey, we're going to unleash him, and then they do. I mean, again, 20 carries for 73 yards, uh, one touchdown, and then four receptions for 26 yards on six targets, whereas previously, you know, A.J. Dillon gets demoted to 10 touches after we've seen him and what Emmanuel Wilson pop up here in the past. So like, I'm not saying the Packers are going to be good, but at least in week one, we saw them probably at one of their best games of the year. And that was with Aaron Jones as a focus. And now they get, you know, just their third win of the season with Aaron Jones. Once a big, once again, being a focus of the team. Yeah. I would say he's the only fantasy reliant player on the Packers side. And then with the Rams, obviously none of this is going to matter because we're going to go into the bye week. And it sounds like Stafford is going to return after the game. Sean McVay said that he's making good progress gripping the football, but quote, it wasn't anywhere to where we thought he would be able to go for us. So he's probably still week to week, hopefully out of the bye, he's back. In the meantime, Brett Rippon, they just didn't trust him in this one. Um, eight of the first 11 series going into the halftime started with the run. They were just trying to hide uh, hide him. It was the same split that we're used to. Hendo more involved in the pass game. Royce Freeman more of a between-the-tackles rusher. We weren't lucky enough to get into the red zone very often in this one. So everyone did bust. Uh, it was not a great performance from Brett Rippon, who was just being hidden here. But hopefully we'll get Kyron Williams back, Matthew Stafford back, maybe some yeah. offensive linemen back. And this team is 3-6, and six, but they still have a chance an outside chance of getting into the wild card mix. And uh, on, on the other note here, both these records are bad three and six and three and five, but there is a big difference between being in the Caleb Williams and Drake may sweepstakes. And these ones, because the Cardinals are awful at one and eight, the Panthers aren't looking too great. The bears aren't looking too great. And the giants who probably are going to be without a quarterback. Those are your top four teams in the draft order. And it's hard to be worse than those ones. So if yeah. you're doing um, uh, Caleb Williams, uh, in Packers uniforms. Good luck with that. Yeah, there, there's a cliff in awfulness this year in the NFL, and it's those four teams and uh, everyone else after that. Bears versus Saints. Saints, I think now in the lead in the NFC South, five and four, a whopping five and four, 24 to 17 win over the Tyson Bajant led Chicago Bears. Daigle, I see here that Derek Carr was 12 for 12 on end breaking routes that brings him to 211 yards and a whopping two touchdowns. Uh, talk me through this historic monumental game in our lives in week nine. It began exciting 
Bears elected to receive the ball and marched down the field for a nine-play, 75-yard drive that ended with an ill-advised, probably, Tyson Bajan throw. He shifted the pocket to his left on play action and threw back across his body to the corner of the end zone to Cole Komet, who mossed Tyron Matthew for a 18-yard opening touchdown. But on the next possession, he can't get away with it and tried to squeeze the ball into a closed window. The window wasn't even barely open. It wasn't cracked, no drift, completely shut. And it ended up being one of his five turnovers, including two fumbles on the day. The Saints turned that interception into a touchdown finally for Chris Olave, who I actually attribute the touchdown to Alvin Kamara because he met the blitzer at the line of scrimmage and allowed Derek Carr to hold on to it just a hair longer, enough for Olave to shake his defender for a back shoulder throw. And Carr also found Taysom Hill for a two-yard touchdown reception in the first half. And honestly, that's one of the two most important takeaways for me from this game. One, it's that Carr coming in was quite literally the worst quarterback in the red zone. He had completed 40% of his passes in that range. So these past two weeks, the Saints have responded by instead featuring Taysom inside the 20. 20 carries the past two games, including 12 inside the red zone and six inside the 10-yard line. Even in today's game, Taysom Hill had both a passing and receiving touchdown from inside the five. So I really don't know how to value him rest of season, but he has to be jammed in there with Andrews, Laporta, and T.G. Hawkinson just because of his weekly role and ceiling. And quickly, the other takeaway is that there are two individuals who hold this team back weekly, and it's Carr, for the reasons mentioned, and Dennis Allen and the team's play calling. Because even in stacking takeaways here, like the coaching staff, doesn't allow their offense to even try and put games away. You can't even tell by the box score that the Saints were tied in the fourth quarter in this one because a punt on fourth and five from the Bears 39, Derek Carr hurrying up on fourth and one from the red zone on a sneak in the second half when it's Taysom, who's literally three of three on the year and converting third and fourth in short situations. And then also Dennis Allen deciding to settle for a 43-yard field goal that Blake Groupie ended up missing uh, on fourth and three from Chicago's 29. So I would say, yes, they won, but more importantly, they kind of survived themselves today. I, th- I think there is a path to really believing that Taysom Hill is like a top eight tight end the rest of the way because Hayden, mm-hmm. he has and leads the team in 15 touches in this game. I'm not saying he's going to get, you know, 11 carries or 52 yards every single time, but for how much this offense is struggling, they are trying to limp into the playoffs as the leader in the NFC South. One of the constants that we do know is dump offs to Alvin Kamara and then Taysom Hill carries and receptions. And so getting that is like almost as bankable as any other tied in production that we can get outside of Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews. I think he's definitely top five. He's their entire red zone offense. And that makes it harder for players like Olave and Michael Thomas, and maybe eventually Alvin Kamara to actually score touchdowns as well, because he is real. But like, like you said, Diggle, the bears had five turnovers in this game. They still had more yards and a higher yards per play than the saints. Like, Having five turnovers and the other team only still scores 24 points to me is like a sign that this offense, while they are now five and four, they're probably going to win the division. 
is still holding on for dear life. And that explains why Taysom Hill is your garbage time and goal line quarterback. And they hung around the Bears, mostly on the ground, 4.9 yards per carry, including six runs of 10 plus yards and a handful of sporadic splash plays after the catch from Darnell Mooney that he just caught shallow and turned up field. Well, uh, we were still getting questions about Roshan Johnson uh, heading into this game <laughs> under a Sunday morning show. And he's like just this hypothetical player that I think people want to try to play because they like how he I ran in the preseason. Yeah. yeah, I mean, two carries and one reception here. Meanwhile, Dante Foreman goes 20 carries for 83 yards. Uh, Cole Komet, another late round tight end that pops up. I wouldn't even call him a late round. Actually, he was probably around like tight end 10 or 11 at some point. Anyways, pops up for six. 55, two touchdowns. Meanwhile, DJ Moore, just three for 44. Um, obviously, the ceiling of DJ Moore has been capped with Tyson Bajant at quarterback because his A dot has been much lower. And I don't know if Fields will turn around for their short week against the Panthers on Thursday night. By the way, yeah. do not look at next week's schedule. Just uh, <laughs> avoid doing that until the very last second. But hopefully Fields will be back soon to, yes, continue elevating DJ Moore. Got it. Commanders versus Patriots. Sam Howell via Diane Russini is going to be the Washington Commanders quarterback of the future. And he shows up here in week nine, Hayden, for a whopping 20 points on 29 of 45, 325 yards, one touchdown, mm-hmm. and three sacks on a Bill Steve. Belichick and Gerard Mayo defense. Talk me through it. This was a nail biter till the end. Uh, how the game ends. The Patriots have the ball down three, marching the field with not much time left. Mac Jones creates a couple of first downs and then eventually throws a ball over the middle of the field to Juju Smith Schuster off his hands for a game losing interception. That was definitely on Juju, not on Mac Jones. Sam Howell, this wasn't like a very memorable game. This was just like a consistent, like moving the chains. We had a couple hey, splash plays. We'd like one of those once in a while from him. It it does feel nice. Jahan Dotson and Terry McLaurin lead the way with seven and eight targets here. Jahan Dotson scores a touchdown in this one. That was the big def, uh, differentiator between those two. Terry McLaurin has a couple plays in the fourth quarter here to help move the chains, but it's still a lot of distribution here. Like Jameson Crowder has six targets. Logan Thomas gets his automatic six targets. Deami Brown, four targets. Byron Pringle, four targets. Antonio Gibson, five targets. So the target shares and all that stuff is still not separating completely for Jahan and Terry McLaurin, but they did drop back 45 or they uh, dropped back 48 times in this game, and Washington just runs a lot of plays here. I guess for fantasy purposes, one takeaway, Brian Robinson, 18 carries, does score a touchdown. There still is no um, Rodriguez in the mix here. It's just Antonio Gibson, B-Rob, in the typical split here. But a close game, a more of a embarrassing game for the Patriots to lose because commanders without their top two edge rushers and the Patriots offense was still more or less caught in the mud. Daigle, question for and you. That's- Dagle, question for you. Um, so Jahan Dotson is one of these players who people get really excited for in preseason. Drafted him fairly highly because of it. Does absolutely nothing through the first yeah. seven weeks of the NFL season. Now in these last two weeks, including today's eight target, four receptions, 69 yard, and one touchdown. Where should he be in the thought process of fantasy football players right now? 
it generally depends on Curtis Samuel's outlook because that's what's happened here. At least we have three games of evidence. That's why he has this 22%, 19.5%, and 18% target share the past three weeks, including today. Also, it helps that Sam Howell now, like you mentioned, Hayden, he still leads the league in dropbacks per game, which is why he and the passing options continue getting there. I wish it were more concentrated since Jameson Crowder has actually popped up these past two weeks, but we still think Dotson and McLaurin are the primary options. So while Samuel's out, I think you do have confidence given the volume that Dotson is a wide receiver three or four Mm -hmm. the rest of the way. Dotson also downfield ball off of his fingertips, and that could have been another splash play. He did have a drop early in this game, so it was kind of the up and down game from Jahan Dotson, but good to see him in the end zone. On the other side of the ball with the Patriots, the play of the game, obviously, Ramondre Stevenson, 64-yard carry up the middle, had to have enough burst for a guy that's a reminder. Ramondre's a big dude and is quite fast to break off for a long touch. I believe is the longest run of his career. The the split though was still kind of down the middle. Ramondre is still in the 60s in your snaps, uh 63% uh ex- to be exact. Ramondre, though, the big difference though for him, aside from that long run, gets up there with six targets in this one. The Patriots are definitely looking for answers at wide receiver. I'll give you one answer. It's not Tyquan Thornton, who was completely <laughs> shut down by Emmanuel Forbes in a battle of the BMIs oh, no. in the in the teens. It, he was getting locked down. There was a couple of really bad reps from Tyquan Thornton. who only caught one of his four targets. Pop Douglas gets going later in the game. He's Mr. Five receptions for 55 yards on his seven targets. You're going to have to earn those the hard way. Juju with a seemed like a season high game. I didn't check that because there's no point in checking that, but six receptions for 51 yards. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson for the best ball guys does catch an end zone a grab on like a little jump fade from the slot. So it's the same old, same old. You're just trying to get big plays out of nothing from this team. It's really hard to bank on them, but at least Ramondre nine carries six targets. I think that gets him into the RB two discussion. Once again, Cardinals versus Browns. The Browns are now five and three in the season being the Arizona Cardinals 27 to zero first quickly on the Cardinals. They ran 48 plays today for a total of 58 yards, and they did it to themselves, you know, uh, trading away Joshua Dobbs for this like one gap week in between when Kyler Murray is going to start is going to give you Clayton Toon having 20 attempts for 58 yards, two interceptions and being sacked seven times to go along with a uh, strip sack uh, on Cleveland's end. This is a weird one to talk about. OK, um, I'm going to try to be. Fair in all of it, because when you put up 27 points, I think the big question is, well, did the offense look better? It was a very odd passing chart from Deshaun Watson, where I would say 90% of it was either deep or loading up into downfield shots. And he did not want to work the intermediate area of the field. Um, There was also one of his touchdown grabs was a 12-yard pass to Amari Cooper that deflected off of a helmet of a defensive lineman at the line of scrimmage, bounced 50 feet in the air, and then it fell right into Amari's grasp. Then there were other sideline catches that you know were nice balls to Amari, but then those were counteracted by third downs or even fourth downs that the passes were just like driven into the dirt or like way off target and forcing these 
wide receivers to adjust. So like, despite this week of practice, and this is just my opinion, despite this week of practice that we got from Deshaun Watson, granted he played all four quarters, which is much better than the last time that we saw him. I still see an inaccurate passer who is not working the full length of the field. And so again, this team is five and three, their defense again is probably now the best in the league after you keep your opponents at 58 yards. But we haven't seen the best from this team yet, and I'm starting to wonder if we are ever going to see it this season because, again, we are eight, nine weeks into the year. The good news is that he has an easy matchup against the Ravens next week, so all will be just fine. Yeah. I mean, those are the, that's the two best defense in the league for for my money. And yeah, Deshaun Watson, I saw some some clips of him just skipping rocks out there. So he's to me, is not completely right. Got bailed out on that Amari Cooper touchdown. What about the running back splits? I had both Ford and Hunt in my top 20 because the implied team total was so high. How did how did that end up evening out? Yeah, I mean, Jerome Ford dominated the snaps early. I felt he got the start. Let's put it that way. Uh, 20 carries only ended in 44 yards. Um, they were in some two-minute drill scenarios, and he was out there on the field for those. Uh, got seven targets, five receptions for 33 yards, but it's almost exactly what we thought was going to happen, where Kareem Hunt came in inside the 10 and uh, in that goal line situation as well. But Jerome Ford was getting some inside the 20, inside the 10 snaps too. There was a little bit of a rotation. I'm interested to see what your chart is going to say. But again, when you're up 13 nothing at halftime, you know your defense isn't going to it's allow over. the Cardinals to score 13 <laughs> points. I don't know how much we can read into this running back situation other than Jerome Ford got the start and Kareem Hunt got the goal line touchdown. Under the hood, at least, it is Ford with 22 rounds to Hunt and Strong's combined eight. So he was still in that role for them. Although I think his team high 25% target share is probably because, as you mentioned, Deshaun Watson dumping the ball off. Yeah, and we got just three Deshaun Watson carries for 22 yards, whereas in previous weeks to open this year, if he wasn't getting it done passing, which he did in this one for two touchdowns, uh, we were at least getting rushing scores. And so, again, we weren't getting it here. There was this like awesome post-corner route. Amari's still so good. Amari is oh, yeah. so good. And I'm I'm glad that his numbers are reflecting his play this season. Again, that post corner for a 58 yarder, a deep shot to Amari Cooper. But I, I would be intrigued to hear you guys go back and watch this if you're seeing the same thing as me, where it just doesn't look right right now. And then on top of that, they lost left tackle Jedrick Wills, who was carted off with a mm. right leg injury. So that's probably one that's going to last for a very long time after already losing their starting right tackle and mm. Jack Conklin for the entire season too. The the good thing is that I think we will only be subjected to one Clayton two game this year because I believe Kyler Murray and James Connor should be coming back next week. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, Trey McBride still did get 20% of the targets here. I think a lot of people are going to want to drop him, but I do think that there's a chance that Trey McBride is a tight end one once Kyler Murray comes back. That was going to be my question to you, Josh, is what what is the Cardinals' exact plan here? Are they trying to thread this needle where Kyler Murray's out there, shows well, they still lose games, they can trade him and still get Caleb, or are they like legitimately trying to win the rest of these games and they don't get give a shit if it's Drake May or Caleb Williams that they lose out on because that's that's the race and it's going to be a close right. one because the Giants may not win another game this year. 
So you and I were having this conversation before we got going. And right now, if we were drafting today, the Arizona Cardinals have the number one overall pick. But soon they will probably have the best quarterback to wide receiver combo of this grouping at the top, right? Mm-hmm. Kyler Murray to Marquise Brown. And so you would think that they might have a better chance to at least surpass the Carolina Panthers in the current state that they're in and playing right now. Um, Chicago about to get Justin Fields back and about to play the Carolina Panthers on top of that. And then we just talked about the New York Giants uh, and we'll mention in a moment, Daniel Jones almost certainly out for the year. Tyrod Taylor on injured reserve. And this DeVito guy might be the worst quarterback in the league. So the Cardinals <laughs> is. Could, could easily go from the 101 to the fourth overall selection, if not beyond that. And so really you might have the Panthers who then give their pick to the Chicago Bears and the New York Giants as the top two picks when we look back on this after what week 18, which is fascinating now looking at it now. Yeah. It seems like from my NFL draft knowledge, it's the two quarterbacks plus Marvin Harrison and then a drop off. So if, you, if the Cardinals get that fourth pick in this season, to me, that would be like a just franchise altering move. Unless Kyler is so good and he's playing at his peak performances, we'll see coming off the But, but to answer your question, like what are they doing? Whenever players go on the field, it's obviously not a tank job, right? And from all accounts, and this has been consistent even if we were kind of ignoring it. From this summer, this team wants to see what Kyler Murray is like out there on the field with this coaching staff. And if that's the case, I think that you inherently understand that, hey, there's going to be worse teams than us. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe there's not. Maybe they play really poorly and Kyler doesn't look as good coming off, you know, a, a knee injury. Um, but at the same time, Hayden, like the Chicago Bears are going to try to do the exact same thing, too, because right. those coaches are coaching. Matt Eberflus is coaching for his job at the yeah. moment. I think I think all these teams are trying to win right now. Um, so we'll see who's the worst. I will say it's going to be the, this stretch run. The first three games for Kyler Murray, the Falcons, the Texans, the Rams. Those are very winnable games. Then it gets a little bit tougher in Pittsburgh. They'll lose to the 49ers. They'll lose to the Eagles. They'll probably lose to the Seahawks. So we'll see if the Kyler can win some of these games immediately. Hopefully, for the Cardinals' sake, they lose some games because you're going to want, like, it, it would be like about three or four first-round picks for if they had the first-round pick. And as you alluded to, Josh, I think it's actually the Giants who are about to be in the lead, given their situation under center. Well, let's go over there right now. Giants versus Raiders. I watched some bad football in week nine. Uh, I did not watch a single second of this game as the Las Vegas Raiders are four and five on the season. Uh, They go and beat the New York Giants 30 to six. We talked about it. Daniel Jones. Uh, tears his ACL, tries to stay in for the next snap, and then buckles. He's out for the year. Tommy DeVito goes 15 of 20 for 175 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. I more so, Hayden, want to discuss the Raiders end of this quickly because I don't know if you all saw Jay Glazer's report prior to this game. Oh, yes. One of the best, I mean, talk about theater and drama that we've ever heard where there was an entire team meeting this past week where the players went at Josh McDaniels and told him how bad he of a job he was doing. And rather than speaking for himself, Josh McDaniels puts Antonio Pierce in front of the team says, Hey guys, we need to be like our giants who went against the new England Patriots in their undefeated season, 
because we thought we could beat anyone despite our record and their record. And then after that, Josh McDaniel said, hey, never talk about the Patriots in that way, <laughs> according to Jay Glazer. Meanwhile, while this is going on for weeks, it sounds like players have been going straight up to Mark Davis's office and bypassing Josh McDaniels. And so Mark Davis says, I want the guy who is talking and using the words that Antonio Pierce is and the optimism versus the Debbie Downer of Josh McDaniels. And here we are in, and I think to take some fancy things away from this, in an Antonio Pierce-led team, Josh Jacobs gets 26 carries for 98 yards and two touchdowns. It's crazy to say, but I actually think it's true. Josh Jacobs might have been the best pick at the 2-3 turn. It'll be Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, and then Josh Jacobs. He's better than all those wide receivers, and he's been putting up some big games recently that they're getting it, and I do think that was my takeaway too. Antonio Pierce is going to establish the run here, and when Aiden O'Connell does drop back, I do think he'll even throw it to Josh Jacobs. So I think this team wants to win on behalf of Antonio Pierce, and at the end of that report, they also said that this is an Antonio Pierce possible long-term head coach. That's how sold Mark Davis was after these fiery speeches. If you lose your league this week by five points, by the way, just know that Josh Jacobs did have the 100-yard bonus. He came in for one last carry inside the two-minute warning, a useless one, and got pushed back two yards to finish with 98. Mm. I mean, this Giants team is, over the last 365 days, they are in such a weird situation because last year they were winning every single one-score game, which what I thought was with great coaching and, you know, crucial moments and play calls and just really good decisions made by both the offense and the defense. And then now this is not the team they wanted to put on the field. They give Daniel Jones this long-term contract. And just as he is coming back from injury, he is now lost to injury. And maybe he comes back by week one next year, the same time a guy who's going to be less mobile when his mobility has been his best trait so far during his career um, maybe because of all this, they play themselves along with Darren Waller in injured reserve. They play themselves into that number one overall decision. And by that time, despite giving this contract that they just did, it's a no brainer of what you do. But I'm, I'm just trying to put myself in the shoes of Giants fans being like, okay, now we turn it up now that we've brought in all these players and it couldn't have bottomed out worse for Brian Dayball and Mike Kafka and company this year. Only way out is getting the top two pick and then drafting a quarterback to replace him. You know, like I don't think Daniel Jones, even when he was healthy, it was not the same player this year. And Darren Waller certainly wasn't helping. We'll see if they keep Darren Waller. He's got a cuttable contract. And then where are you at with the skill group? Because by the way, Saquon, Saquon. Barkley is still not under under contract. And they can't play the franchise tag game with them unless they're willing to up that money again. And they still don't want to trade him. So to me, this is a directionless franchise that was caught in a bad spot. But what they should have done is franchise tag Daniel Jones and extended Saquon Barkley last off season. And then at that point you can at least say we're on to next season. This, this season's a joke, but at least we have some uh, confidence where we're going to be next year. They're, they're middling it and it's turned out disastrously. I think it all started for them with losing Andrew Thomas and then I think Evan Neal missed action in this game. And their guard center guard combination has just been a mess all offseason. And when that is destabilizing itself, then the rest obviously falls out from there. I don't know. Like, I actually like Brian Dayball as um, 
an intriguing personality and someone that has changed his offenses. I know Mike Kafka was calling it earlier in the year, but changes offenses everywhere and every place he goes. And that's to me an admirable quality of a coach. But like if they only win two games this season, is he on the potential chopping block despite having a playoff oh. time last year? I think he has enough money in the bank to carry this one season forward. But I, I think it is an intriguing um, statement to make after, you know, he and Joe Shane are kind of like tied at the hip with all the decisions they made this offseason. And I would still want him to be leading a top five quarterback out of this class. I still have enough confidence in that. I mean, dude, just it's literally worst case scenario for every scenario. It's what's happening right now. I don't even blame the play calling so much on him because he has no confidence in the talent they have like under center at wide receiver right now. It's just all one giant mess. I think they can trade Daniel Jones. It would be sloppy and it would cost them a lot of dead money, but they can actually trade him next offseason if it does come down to it. I think this team, I would say it's they're 50-50 finishing the season with two wins. That's that's yeah. the state of Tommy DeVito. Um, just to mention a place of a team that's going to be in like quarterback purgatory or like win-loss purgatory. I don't know if he would want this type of player, but like the Minnesota Vikings might be a destination for that because they're going to win way too many games. And Kirk Cousins obviously is not going to be back on that team next year. Okay, we'll go on over to uh, Frankfurt, Germany for Sunday morning action. Dolphins versus Chiefs. Yep. Early morning on a Sunday, Kansas City Chiefs put up 21 points in the first half. Nothing in the second half. This is becoming a theme, John Daigle, for the Chiefs so far this year. Meanwhile, a theme for the Miami Dolphins has been we crush the bad opponents this year in the Denver Broncos, in the New York Giants, in the Carolina Panthers, in the New England Patriots. Yet when they face the Bills, the Eagles, and the Chiefs, they score 20 points, 17 points, and 14 points and lose to all the contenders so far this year. And that 24 points last week against the Broncos is still the most points scored by any opponent by the Chiefs this year. That's really the theme, is that their Mm -hmm. defense is still taking over games as Patrick Mahomes just continue finding ways to get it done. Even today for Justin Watson, basically to be their most important player outside of Mahomes and Kelsey. It's just, they keep getting it done every single week. Whereas like the dolphins now, it really comes down to them being unable to stop the competition they need to beat to prove like they're actual serious playoff contenders. Because now, whether it's Herbert in week one, Josh Allen with 48 points against him, Jalen Hurts with 31, and now the Chiefs getting it done here despite not scoring in the second half, everyone they've come across that they should be competing with, they've lost to. And that's an issue. Going back to that Tyreek Hill trade, they basically traded Tyreek for a top five and by far the best defense of the Mahomes era because Trent McDuffie, he makes 10 tackles. He's the one that pops that ball out ironically on Tyreek Hill, who was the player that the chiefs drafted in the first round in that exact trade. And on top of that, the Tyreek Hill trade opened up some uh, room to get Chris Jones in there too. So that's basically the thing they're saying is we'll get Jarek McKinnon out in the flats to score the touchdowns. We'll get Rasheed Rice uh, in the red zone yards after the catchability. Mahomes, you got to figure out the receiving core. But in return, we'll get you a, a defense that can carry this team to the Super Bowl. So uh, I'm just really gutsy win here. That that makes me nervous, man. Like we have seen, you know, defenses be sticky in season. And in fact, Steve Spagnolo has had Super Bowl winning defenses that have had much less talent than this one does. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't know if a defense in the AFC can keep, like, let's say the Ravens, the Bengals, and the Bills, or this Dolphins team to less than 21 points in three straight games. Again, I'm not saying that the Chiefs are only going to score 21 points in every single game, but looking at this box score, when, you know, the leading wide receiver gets 34 yards, 33 yards, 22 yards, and 22 yards, and they can only run the ball for 93 yards, like, I, I talked about this. We talked about this heading into the show, and this is from our, our buddy Rich Rebar. The Chiefs are fourth in first half touchdown drives and 30th in second half touchdown drives. So, like, I don't know what's going on, but it is a trend in the third and fourth quarters where this team just cannot find six points. But they're probably running the ball because they're not giving up any points on defense. And, like, my, my note on the defense thing, though, this they've held the Lions to 21, Jacksonville to 9, the Vikings with Kirk Cousins to only 20. They've held uh, the Justin just Herbert Chargers to 17. The Tua team to 14. I mean, those are that's five or six really quality defenses. Totally. 21 or fewer points. Totally. It, to me, it's just always a tightrope. And sure. maybe they are banking on then Patrick Mahomes figuring it out. Andy Reid figuring it out when it does matter during that playoff run and that Super Bowl run. But once again, this is just like the third version of this Chiefs team that we have seen under Andy Reid, that it went from shot plays to Tyree Kill to everything short this past season and putting up a whole bunch of yards to now being defensive reliant and not making mistakes on offense. And if these two if these two teams meet in the postseason, like Maybe Jalen Waddle will be at full health since he got a little banged up here. Devon Achan is expected back after their bye in week 11. So it still could be a little bit of a different offense the Chiefs face too. And got to give credit to Miami here. I mean, there was the the touchdown on defense. They held the Chiefs to 14 points in this game. Yeah. So like, there could be some splits with both Jalen Ramsey and I believe Zayman Howard both out there this week. And those two guys can get better as the season progresses as well. So I think both of these defenses are just underrated because we focus on their offense. But like I'm with you, Josh, just because I saw Kadarius, Tony and Sky Moore, they picked up first downs and these two cats were celebrating like they had just won the Super Bowl. <laughs> and that shows you where they're at when they're celebrating like that on first downs. Yeah. And look, this team still has like other defense versus great offensive matchups like the rest of the season, you know, like you ran through what they already have shut down this year. They still have the Eagles coming up after a bye week. Then they have the Bills in early December at home. Then they have the Bengals in week 17 at home. And then the Chargers to end the season if we want to put them in that category too. So like it's not just the test they've already had. It's the test they're going to have and they roll right into the playoffs after that. And just quickly in Rasheed Rice, he just looks different when he gets the ball. And he, his touchdown was awesome. But still, that just equals two targets, two receptions, and 17 yards. Yep. It's tough, man. Very tough. Um, okay. And you mentioned it, Daigle. Devon Achan should be back uh, coming up this week. And he was, or after the bye week, I should say. He's been cutting. He's been moving. He's been doing all that stuff. So let's hope for week 11 he comes back. Because Raheem Mostert, I think the first half, this running game was really shut down. And when we've seen this Dolphins team be at their best, their counterpunch really has been explosive runs. Um, and then in the second half, he really got going, including that 25-yard. Titans versus Steelers. From Thursday night, the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Tennessee Titans just barely, 20-16. to 16. Is there much to say about this Pittsburgh Steelers team other than now that Deontay Johnson is back, 
nine targets, seven receptions, 90 yards and a score. And in a way, George Pickens has been back to relegated on his vertical routes, corner routes, two receptions, negative one yards on five targets and try to be Houdini along the sideline. My big note is this passing chart I had never seen before. They attempted one pass over the middle, the Steelers did, and of course it went incomplete. Everything was to the perimeter. So chicken or the egg, is that Matt Canada? Is that George Pickens? Is that Kenny Pickett? It's probably all of them. But in the meantime, the easy stuff goes to Deontay Johnson. That's why he separates with the the targets. We almost had some big plays from George Pickens, who somehow had negative yards. But it's a rotation at running back. Um, and yeah, the, this was the, one of their best offensive performances. And they put up 20 points on a Titans defense. I was missing a backup safety. They just traded Kevin Byer. They're missing a starting corner. And they still only had 20 points. You need the touchdown from Najee Harris, which you get in this game. But Jalen Warren still, man, he's just a mm-hmm. he's a little feisty runner. Um, and then, yes, as you mentioned, Hayden, Deontay Johnson now full four full games leads the team with a twenty eight and a half percent target share because he does get peppered underneath and just has to depend on Yak, which he provided on Thursday night. Yeah, and he scored a touchdown, his first one, yeah, I believe, since finally got uh, it. like twenty twenty one, if I'm not mistaken. Um Let's talk about Will Levis because the dude can rip it. We've uh-huh. said that since the first time he touched the field. The dude can rip it. Um, at the same time, goes 22 of 39, 262, one interception, no touchdowns. But I, I don't want to pile on that. Takes four sacks. On that final drive, he does have about like three or four turnover-worthy plays. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just glad that at the very least he has shown enough for Mike Vrabel to not move off of him. And that the rest of this season should just be Will Levis learning on the job because his arm is so live in comparison to a lot of quarterbacks out there that just a flick pushes it downfield and he just changes this offense from that standpoint. And so to me, the goal should be to eliminate some of these plays that he holds onto the football a bit too long. Um, He is still working behind a really bad offensive line that had about four more injuries in this game but just to figure out what he does well and spin that forward heading into 2024. Some of those back shoulder throws he had under or back foot throws he had under pressure. They weren't even egregious decisions. Like he was just pedaling backwards and they were wide open receivers that his arm out of like only four other arms in the NFL allow him to make. It's as you said, when the ball leaves his hand, man, it's, it's something special every time. And I just thought from start one to two, the fact that he already, he learned the little pitching wedge, just the lob over linebackers and over cornerbacks, as opposed to trying to rip it in there every single time. I already thought that was a little improvement. So just given the state of the NFL, like we all watch these games every week, we see how bad quarterback play is now. I don't know how you can't be excited about well, Levis given everyone else we're seeing coming into the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it was Greg Rosenthal. He had the perfect comp. He said Jay Cutler. And that's what that's what I'm seeing. You might have to live with the downs uh, for sure while he's still in the inexperienced part of his career. But the ball slings out of his hand and Jay Cutler for as bad as he was at points. He was always entertaining. And I yep. think one of the most watchable uh, characters on TV right now. So I'm very happy that they have him out there. And um, I'm not sure if it'll be consistent ball, but it will be entertaining. Yeah, and now we get him against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense. Obviously, Daigle, it's one that you said has been a bit of a sieve later on, but obviously Todd Bowles can um, dial it up on third downs. And then after that, he goes on the road 
uh, to the Jacksonville Jaguars as well. And that I, defense has played quite well this season. I do wonder too, if he gets enough respect eventually to lighten the eight man boxes for Derrick Henry and like get Derrick Henry home here in the second half of the season, because their schedule actually is pretty soft down the stretch. Mm. I, it's just like having a three and five team that's watchable because of like one singular player. I'll take it. I'll take it oh, at this point. In comparison he's must-see TV. To he's he's he rookie year Josh Allen. Not that he has that outlook, but he's a roller coaster on every play. He can make anything happen, literally every play. Yeah. And that's uh, not good. Sometimes. <laughs> I like that. All right. We'll get out of here. Um, shout out to producer Weaves. A uh, bit of a nightmare show from me and uh, Daigle. Uh, Hayden, you were flawless today. Just, just flawless. That's new. Um, so, yeah. Didn't ask for it earlier. If you made it this far, you know what to do. Hit that subscribe button. All right, we'll get out of here. Daigle, you have your waiver show. You have your waiver column. That is all over at 444, and the link goes straight to it at the end of the show. Plus, if you want to subscribe to his stuff, that link is in the description down below. All right, for Weaves, for Hayden, for Daigle. Up the villa. We'll talk to you